I hope you have a, a Bible with you. If you do, I want you to take it out and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 17. We're in the second part of verse 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one there in front of you in the pew rack there. You can take that one out and turn to there as well. Ephesians 6, verse 17. We've been looking at the armor of God, and we're going to continue with that this morning. And we started verse 17 last week where it says, and take the helmet of salvation. And today our focus, though, is on in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We've tried to be focusing on the Word all this morning. But today we approach our weapon that God has given us. And we'll probably look at that as well next week, because if you notice verse 18, it talks about prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit. Uh, and so we'll be talking about that as well together as we go through Ephesians but today we focus on the Bible. What is this sword of the Spirit? What is this truth that God has given us? And the Bible usually is something I think that when you talk to Christians, especially growing up in this church that I did, the Bible was something that was of importance, that was put out there, that we, that we stood on, that we, we believe in this word, we, we hold true to this word. But my question, I guess, to us is, do we always really believe this? I find it in here, at least it feels like. Maybe I'm wrong, but I always sit right here, every, every service. I, I sit right there in that same spot. I mean, my, my butt is imprinted right there. Nobody else's. And I watch the service, and I see it go. I gotta be honest, one of the most awkward times in our service is when we read Scripture. It just feels in here different than when we sing or than when we preach. And I wonder why. I do. I wonder why that is. I remember uh, when Pastor Roy retired and you guys voted me to be senior pastor and we started looking at the service and we did some things different. One of those was we felt the need to start reading scripture in our services. That really didn't happen much before. Uh, it would be preached on, and we'd read before it was preached, but we didn't have really times of reading Scripture. And I remember we had a meeting, and I think our staff felt weird that I was saying this, but I said, guys, we got to tone back some of the Scripture reading. I don't think we can handle it. I think it's awkward. I think everybody's wondering, what is going on? Why are we reading so much of this? We need to do something more, maybe something a little more lively. And so we did that. I did my best to scale back. Some of the scripture reading. I know Pastor Scott joked this morning, I'm going to read all of Psalm 119. You guys would have left. I know for a fact you would have left. You would have thought, "Is this ser are you serious? This is all that we're doing this morning? But I do think that comes with a misunderstanding then of what is God's word? What is this book that he has given us? I don't normally do this. I, I don't like this. If I was sitting where you are sitting right now, I would not raise my hand. I'm just telling you this, but I'm going to ask you to do this for me, okay? If you've ever heard of the Baptist faith and message, would you, would you raise your hand for me? I'm just curious. The Baptist faith and message. Okay, about 10% of you. That's interesting. Maybe 90% maybe of you are like me, and you do know what it is, but you wouldn't raise your hand, because that's what I would have done. The Baptist faith and message is the statement of faith for Southern Baptists. It's what our church is a Southern Baptist church. And the Baptist faith and message is what we say. This is our statement of faith that we believe uh, is our doctrines that we hold to. 
And in order to be a, a church in the Southern Baptist Convention, you have to, I don't like this wording, but I think closely align with it. I wish it would just say align with it. But I think it says closely align with it. And so it's something that you should be aware of because you're sitting in a Southern Baptist church right now. And it's important what we believe and what we hold on to. I know I would not want to be a part of a church that I'm like, I don't even know what they believe. But I go there. I like the people there. No. And so in the Baptist faith and message, it speaks to Scripture of what we believe in Scripture. And if you're curious about the Baptist faith and message, this is a little plug on the Pastors of the Roundtable podcast that we do each and every week. We're currently going through the Baptist faith and message uh, step by step and reading through it and talking about it as pastors. So you can look at that if you want, if you want to get to know more about the Baptist faith and message. But this is what the Baptist faith and message says about Scripture, the Bible. It says, the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Now, it might be of interest to you that of all the articles that the Baptist Faith and Message speaks of, God, uh, man, salvation, all these different things, Scripture is the first one. And the question then goes, why is that the first one? It's the first one because it's the most important one. You say, well, how are you saying that? You said God is one of them. Because without Scripture, we don't know God. We don't know who he is. As we're going to get into, this is the way that God has revealed himself to us is through his word. And we have the great privilege today of living in a time and age where I am guessing many of you have Bibles at home that are just thrown in this place and that place. This week, my son had to be in a wax museum. He had to act like a wax figurine until you pushed the button and then he spoke really fast about the person that he was portraying. Well, he was, he was told he had to portray Martin Luther King Jr. And I said, you know, he was a, a preacher. He said, well, then I need a Bible. It was very easy for me to find a Bible in my house. I got one right here. Here you go. I'll take this one with you. Well, that's a privilege of ours. This wasn't the case too long ago. We wouldn't have this book, but we have it. And we have the privilege of being able to read it and to see God revealed to us in here. But I love how the end of the Baptist faith and message, the very end, the very last sentence of that paragraph said, all scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. I think sometimes we can get a little loose with this and forget that Jesus really is the point of all of it. He, he's the point of this book. I was happy to hear uh, Pastor Kenny when he got up here say, well, I'm not telling people my message. I'm telling people Christ. We're speaking to them about Christ and who he is and what he has done. And so as we proceed this morning, we cannot forget this, that the armor that we have, I've been saying this all through this series, the armor that we have been given is not our own armor. It's not an armor that we make, that we forge for us. 
But it's Christ's armor who wore it first as he defeated Satan. It's his. And now we have it. He gives it to us to wear. And that includes our sword. It's not my sword that's made that I make it for myself. He made it. It's his. And he gives it to us. And it is this sword now that I get to yield. And you need to hold to this. I need to hold to this. This works. This word works. We, we speak it. We say it. We teach it. We point people to it. And we need to be willing to trust that God will use it because God says this is what he is going to use. And so we have to trust that it will happen. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Because in this passage in Ephesians, it says it's what? It says the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is given to us, and it says it is the Word of God. But Jesus here says that the Holy Spirit is not going to speak anything to you or to me except for what the Holy Spirit is told to say. And so what does this mean? It means then that the Holy Spirit speaks Jesus' words. Not some random words, not anything like that. He speaks the words of Christ to us. This is how the Spirit speaks. You might hear people say that quite a bit. Well, the Holy Spirit is telling me. What? He's telling you what? It better be the words of Christ, because if it's something else, that isn't the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's the chili dog you ate last night. It's not the Holy Spirit. So we have to be careful with this, because again, what are the words of Jesus? Well, we're told this in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. And by God's great grace, we have been given this Word, the Bible. This is why Paul writes to us, and he says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And I just wonder how often we really believe that. I wonder how often we really believe that this book has power. When you go to share the gospel with your friends at school, teenagers, and you say, well, I've never done that. Well, you should. But when you do that, do you really believe that if you quote a scripture passage to that person, that it's going to work? Or you, adult, as you share it with your kids, do you feel you have to make it cool before it'll work? That you have to fancy it up somewhat before it'll work? Or do you actually believe that as you tell them the words of scripture, God is going to do what he says he does, and that is work through his word. I want to remind us of four things this morning, and I'll go quick. I know we have a meeting after church. But the first thing is that the word of God is reliable. Second thing, the word of God is revealing. The third thing, that the word of God is working. And then lastly, that the word of God is the Christian source of strength. The word of God is reliable. I don't want to stay on this too long, but historically speaking, we can take a lot of trust in the word of God that we have. This might be something that you get nervous about or a question that you have. How do I know that these 66 books are the ones that we're supposed to have? 
how do I know that the, how it came about and how it was all planned and that, that this is actually the word of God? How do I know that the, the words that are written on the Bible that I have are the words that were being read or spoken by Jesus himself? How do I know this to be true? And you wonder about this maybe scientifically. I'm here to tell you that scientifically, we have more to stand on than any other book ever written. Again, I don't want to stand this too long. You can study this on your own, but just real brief, briefly. The writings of Plato, the writings of Caesar, the writings of Aristotle, the writings uh, in the book, the Homer of Iliad, or the Iliad. You might have heard of these things. These are, these are famous writings that were taught in universities, that are, are taught in schools. And I, I remember learning and reading all these different things and, and never once questioning, is this the true words that were said here? Yes, it is, of course. And, and they said, we have scientific reliability of these things. None of these compare to the scientific reliability that we have with the New Testament. Take Plato, for instance. He wrote, he, he would have wrote back in 427 to 347 BC, somewhere in there. The very earliest copy is ever found, 900 AD. So that's 1,200 years span. And the number of copies that we actually have found is seven, seven copies uh, with Caesar. Uh, it was a thousand years in between from when it was said or written to when we actually found something and have proof of it. A thousand years, number of copies, 10. Aristotle, 1,400 years time span between when it was said, wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote over and over and over again, and then we have a copy from 1100 AD. So 1,400 years, we have 49 copies. Again, those are never questioned. Never debated that do we have good scientific reliability with these things? Or Homer's Iliad, written in 900 BC. Earliest copy that we know of, 400 BC. That's 500 years. Not too bad. That's the best one so far. 643 copies. Scientists are pretty sure and positive that we have 95% accuracy in those copies. Pretty reliable book. The New Testament. Less than 100 years span. Wrote in 1st century A.D., between 50 and 100 A.D. We have the earliest copies from the 2nd century A.D., about 130 A.D. So again, less than 100 years there. We have 5,600 copies of this. It just blows all the rest out of the water. 5,000 more copies than Homer's Iliad. And scientists are guaranteeing that 99.5% is accurate in these copies. So as we find more, it all just keeps aligning. And when you start to look at the distinct things of what makes this, this what, what about that 0.5%? What about the 0.5%? It's usually like, it says Jesus, and this one says he. Uh, it's a pronoun. It, it, it never changes anything. There's never like, well, this one says Mary wasn't a virgin, and this one says she was. No, we never have anything like that. This one says Jesus wasn't God. No, nowhere. And so if you're worried about the scientific accuracy of the scriptures, I want to tell you this morning, you can rest assured, it's accurate. It's very accurate. And there are many people out there who struggle with this, and this is the only reason I bring it up this morning, is maybe to help you not struggle with that. What we have is historically accurate. And the Bible tells us itself that the words within these pages are truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The Bible itself claims to be true. And this is what we still hold to today. 
If you listened as I was reading the Baptist faith and message, it says words like inerrant, infallible. This means no errors or cannot contain errors. This is what we hold to as a church. This book has no errors and therefore it's 100% trustworthy and true. We can hang our hats on it. We believe it to be true. We know it to be true. And so that is why we say the word of God is reliable. We can rely on it. But also, as I said, the word of God is revealing. It is how God reveals himself to us. I couldn't tell you why God has chosen a book to reveal himself. Because I have no doubt there's many of you here this morning who are saying, I hate to read books. I'm with you. I don't want to read. I'm tired. Whatever it is, it's not, it doesn't ever sound good to me. I hear people, I'm just ready to snuggle up in my bed and read a book. What? I'm going to snuggle up in my bed and fall asleep. What are you talking about? I don't want to read a book. And so why a book? I don't have that answer. I'm sure if God wanted to, he could have done it some other way, but he didn't. He chose a book. And so we are people of the book, of the Bible. And in this book, in this Bible, it tells us that God can be known, first of all, by what is called general revelation. This means that creation itself tells us there is a God. We see passages all over. Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Romans 1, 19 to 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has made himself known in his creation. And this is a general revelation to all of us. As we look upon the storms in the sky... As we look upon a, a beautiful sunrise or sunset, as we see little kids running around and all these different things in creation that are just so magnificent and beautiful, what comes to our mind is, how did all this happen? And it's God pointing us to him. That's what it is. It's God pointing us to himself, revealing himself to us, saying, I am here. There is a God here. There is a creator here who has made all of this. But the Bible also speaks of another type of revelation. Theology, they call this special revelation. And we've already read the verse that they get this from, 2 Timothy 3.16, where it said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Within the Bible, we have the truth of God contained in it. And it says it's God breathed out. And if God is breathing it out, then it is something we need to pay attention to. It is something we need to listen to. And we must know that it's true and what it says. This Bible tells us who God is and what he has done and what he is doing. And it's how God then reveals to us our own hearts. As we read the pages contained in the Bible, it's like God is speaking to us, showing us ourselves. While we can look at creation and we can marvel at it and it points us to God, what creation cannot do is creation cannot tell me my problem, sin. And it cannot tell me the solution. I cannot look and walk around creation and see a tree and all of a sudden say, oh, the cross. I need a book to tell me that. And God has done that. God has given us this book to tell me this. And there's no other book in the world that can reveal 
your heart to yourself like the Bible can. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe you've read a book on depression, and afterwards you thought, man, I think I'm a depressed person. This book kind of describes me. Or you read a book on motherhood, or you read a book on whatever it might be. And I'm not saying it's not a good book. I'm not saying there's not other good books out there to read and study, you know. But there is no book like the Bible that will tell you who you are. As you see within its pages, your wretchedness, your sinfulness. And it almost gets to the point where you're like, what in the world can I do? But then we see the answer to that is Jesus Christ himself, who this whole book is about. God sent his only son to solve man's problem of sin, of rebellion. And Christ paid that price for us. And we see this in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, this is another famous verse about the scripture. It's one that your mind has to go to as we see that the, about the sword. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If you've been saved by God's grace this morning, you know the truth of that word. Maybe you remember a time to when God was opening your eyes to the truth of his word and you started to realize for the first time, I'm a sinner. I'm one of those who would have nailed Jesus to the cross. In my flesh, I, I am struggling here. And that's this verse in Hebrews coming true. Piercing you. Piercing your soul. Cutting it down to see who you really are. And the only thing that can do that, the only thing that can do that to a person, listen, is God's word alone. It's only his word that can show us this, who can convict us and change us. There's nothing else that can do it. And that's why we need to be reminded this morning, our third point, that the word of God is working. Now, while a sword is often thought about as an offensive weapon, which I guess it is, it's also a defensive weapon. As we stand battling against Satan, our sword is our great defense. And Jesus displays this for us very well uh, when he is tempted by Satan in the desert. This is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. I'd encourage you to turn there because it's a longer passage. But Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, we see the temptation uh, of Jesus. That Satan, when Satan drives him out and tempts him. And I want you to notice how Jesus uses the sword. I want you to pay attention to this. Because right now, some of you are being tempted, no doubt. I guarantee later today, we will all be tempted. So the question is, how do we fight this? As we battle Satan on a day-to-day basis, how do we fight it? Well, the word tells us here that it's the word. Our weapon, our sword, is the word. And you're about to see Jesus use it very well. So let's follow his lead. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What did Jesus do here defensively? He took out his sword and with every attack that Satan would come at him with, Jesus parried with the word of God. He didn't get fancy. He didn't try to talk Satan out of anything. He didn't make excuses. Jesus didn't even try to remind Satan at this moment who he was. That's amazing. Think about that. Couldn't Jesus have just said, who are you messing with? I am the son of God. You know who I am. Get out of here. He did not do that. He quoted from Deuteronomy. When's the last time you quoted from Deuteronomy? He quotes from Deuteronomy every time Satan attacks him. And it's interesting because Satan doesn't try to reply with a smart aleck remark. The first temptation comes. The Lord uses scripture. Satan's like, okay, let's move on to the next one. Does it again? Let's move on to the next one. Does it again? And now Satan is gone. He had no response when the word of God was spoken. I wonder how you often try to fight temptation. Or how often I try to fight temptation. I know I'm guilty of these things and maybe you are as well. When I feel myself getting tempted, I like to think in my head of certain things that I think will guard myself from sinning. And I say things like, what if somebody finds out? Wouldn't that be embarrassing? And I try to motivate myself that way. What if, what if somebody finds out? Or I'll say things like, Tim, you made yourself a promise. Don't you remember that year at youth camp? You promised. You promised God you wouldn't do this again. You promised God you wouldn't talk like that. You promised God that you would do this. Tim, you promised yourself you can fight this temptation. Or I'll say things like, I promised God. I didn't just promise myself, I promised God, and I can't go back on that. A good one for me is this. I, I say this to myself a lot. If you know me, you'll understand this. I'll say, Tim, you're better than this. You're better than this. You can overcome this. You can fight this. It's just another temptation. It's just another challenge. You can get through this. Maybe you've said similar things. Those things are completely empty when it comes to fighting Satan. Those do nothing to scare him. Those do nothing to push him away. And the reason for that is because those things are not our weapon. When Satan hears those things, he's so smart and he knows us so well that he knows how to counter every single one of these things. But what if somebody finds out? Satan says, nobody's going to find out you're home all by yourself. How in the world is anybody going to find out? And you say, oh, that's right. That's a good point. I made myself a promise. Tim, you were a dumb teenager back then. Haven't you learned better now? 
Hasn't more happened in your life? Well, I made God a promise. I don't see God around. You've done it before. Did he strike you dead then? Isn't there grace? Isn't he just gonna forgive you again? He'll let it go. He's done that before. He's a God of mercy. Promise God. You failed him before. He's still by your side. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Good point. I'm gonna do it. I'm better than this. You can see why that fails. You see, those things are not weapons. We must know the Bible in order to say it back to Satan when he is attacking. And I think this is something I know that I've failed at. And maybe it's something we need to get better at. But this isn't a sexy thing. Bible memorization. It's something of old. It's something that seems to have passed away. It's something that when we try to teach it to kids in children's church and they don't pay attention and it gets frustrating and you're like, you know what, let's just go on and play Duck, Duck, Goose. I'm sick of this. But Bible memorization is so important. Why? Because it is our sword and it is our weapon. It is exactly what Jesus did here with Satan in the desert. As Satan would attack him, he just simply quoted scripture and Satan never had a response. Never. Because the sword was working. And we must be willing to do the exact same things when these temptations roll in to be able to quote scripture in our head or even to say it out loud to help us to fight against Satan in these battles. Or as we start to think little about ourselves and Satan is beating us of who we are and we're starting to doubt maybe even who we are in Christ, we think of these verses that remind us, no, this is who I am in Christ. He has adopted me. He has saved me. He has filled me with his spirit. He has given me an armor of truth, a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness. We, we speak these words because there's power in these words, because it's the word of God. But we don't just have a sword for defense. Obviously, we have it for offense as well. And you might think this means offensively using against Satan. I can't remember if I said it from the stage or if I said it uh, during a podcast, but I think too often what we picture ourselves is we got this armor on and you're, you've got this huge sword and Satan is there in front of you. And first of all, the word for sword isn't a huge sword here. It's the little side sword that the Romans would have had. Been about this big, all right? Not this big, huge sword, but this is how you picture yourself. Big sword, Satan coming, wah, wah, tail cut off, head, boom, into the chest. Jesus did that. You don't do that. You don't conquer Satan. Jesus conquered Satan. The offensive weapon that we have for the sword and the purpose for it is evangelism. That's what we've been given it for. We attack Satan evangelistically. As we go out into the world and we share the gospel with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, we share the truth of God's word with them, knowing this is our only effective tool. I can sit here and spar with you all day about all the political stuff you want, about all the common sense stuff you want. Let's talk about it. Let's go back and forth. None of that is ever going to work to win them to the Lord until we start using this. We tell them, this is what the Bible says. You are lost in your sin. This is what the Bible says. God has a solution for this, and his name is Jesus. And we walk them through this, using the Romans road or the ABCs of salvation, whatever it is. There's different tools out there that help you with scripture, to show them scripture. Say, this is what it says. This is, this is what God has done for us, 
And this is our only weapon. You can get thousands of people in this room. No, we can't. We can fit about a thousand people in this room, not thousands. You can fit about a thousand people in this room. All right, and we could, we could do all this work to do whatever we can to get them in here. But if we don't teach them the Bible, if we don't share with them the Bible, what is the, what's the point? All right, what are we doing? So we have to be careful that we understand this offensive weapon, but also that we know how to yield it. I read this quote, I don't remember where it is, but it stuck with me in studying this week. If you have this nice, beautiful sword, very balanced, very sharp, two-edged sword, if you give that to a child, how comfortable are you? I'm scared to death. I hate that my kids have Nerf guns. I mean, they shoot me all the time, and it drives me crazy. Give that kid a sword, and what are you scared of? I think it was last Sunday, I was working out in the yard with my family, and my youngest son picked up a hatchet, and he's like, Dad, can I use this? I remember for a second thinking, whoa, if he misses and hits his leg, he's in trouble. And I said, yeah, you can use it, but you better be careful. That thing's sharp. And I told him, if you swing and miss and hit yourself, you're in trouble, buddy. I won't do that. Maybe bad parenting. I said, go have at it. But it was scary at first. Why? Because you have a child with a sharp object that really can do some damage. But if you take that same sword and you give it to a well-trained warrior, then what do you have? You have great protection. You have a great weapon, a great offensive weapon. They know how to use that sword well. They know how to use it to defend themselves, but they also know how to attack. They know that it's double-sided. They can do all these different things, and it, it, it can almost be beautiful to watch as they do this. The Word of God is the same way. It's heartbreaking for me to hear preachers get in the pulpit. Maybe this is a little soapbox. And declare very gladly, yeah, I don't know all this word, but I know one thing. I know Jesus is true. I think, what? You don't know all this word? Then why are you the one standing up there? You should be the well-trained soldier. You have the sword. You're just cutting people this morning. You're trying to cut to their soul and the marrow, and you're telling me you're not a well-trained surgeon? Would you guys want to go into the operating room? And the surgeon be like, what is this thing? And he's holding the scalpel. Well, I've never seen it before, but it's sharp and it'll do the trick. All right, count to 10 backwards. No. Get that thing away from me, right? I need somebody else. I want somebody who knows this. I want somebody who is trained in this, right? Well, I'm picking on pastors this morning. I would say the same to you as you go and witness to your family and friends. You're going to go perform some soul surgery on them, and you're not going to know how to use the sword? You're not going to know how to teach it to them? How to tell them the truth? How to show them the loving grace of their Savior? I'm not saying you have to have it all memorized, but at least know it well enough that you're not going to damage them or just hurt them. I'm sure you've seen it before. I'm sure, sure you've seen other Christians take their sword and yeah, they quote some passages, but all they're trying to do is hurt people. They're just trying to hurt people. They're trying to make people look dumb. 
They're trying to make people look foolish. And, and it saddens me because that's not the purpose of this word that God has given us. We want to be able to use this word. Why? Yes, to cut down to the marrow, but for what? So that they can see how good God really is, how much he loves them so much that he would send his only son into this world to die in their place. That's what we want them to see. That's the God of this book that we want them to know and to understand. It's heartbreaking when somebody talks about the Old Testament and says, we don't want that God. He's a mean God. No, he's not. You don't understand this book. Have you read it? Do you really grasp it? Who's taught you that? Who's trained you in that? That God of the Old Testament is the same God we have today. And he loves you dearly. He loves you a ton. And you need to know about him. And so we need to know how to use this sword. It made me think about David and Goliath. You remember before David would go and fight Goliath, what did Saul try to do? He tried to heap on him all of his armor. And you get that picture of little David with all this grown man armor on him. And Saul was a big guy, they said. So he's got all this armor on him. And he's like, what in the world? How am I going to fight with this stuff on? This is impossible. This armor isn't good for me. And he takes it all off. And he takes what he knew how to use, the sling and the stone. And he goes out and he fights. Right? We, we have this armor that God has given us that is perfect for us. It has been worn by Jesus Christ himself in defeating Satan. And it is our armor now, and we are told to go out and use it and fight. And I want to remind you, the word of God works. And it's working. Don't try to go a different route. Stay true to the word. And then lastly this morning, the word of God is the Christian source of strength. This could have been put under the heading, I think, of defense, but I really thought it would be best to highlight it on its own here at the end of the sermon. If it's true here that God has given us this Bible to reveal himself to us, then this Bible here is the Christian source of strength, the believer's source of strength. It's, it's what we have to be reminded of who God is, to be reminded of who we are in him and what he has done. And I want to share some scripture passages with you to remind you of this this morning because I have no doubt there are some of you here today and you are weary. You are tired. You've been fighting Satan for a very long time. He tempts you and you can look back in your past and you see a lot of victories. You do. And you believe in God and you trust in him and, and you know you've been saved by his grace and you love him. But yet, if you're honest, this morning as you sit here, you're weary. You're tired. And maybe some of that reason has been a neglect of your source of strength, the word of God. Let me remind you of some truths in it. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, that's a verse for our world today. In this world, there will be tribulation. But what a message to be able to tell people. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And there's peace in that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 to 31. Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. 
His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Or maybe we reference back to a passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 6 verse 10. This is where the whole armor thing started. Ephesians 6 10. Why does he talk about the armor? Paul says, finally what? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I said some of you this morning, the last thing you feel is strong. You walk in this room very weak. But the word of God reminds us that we have our strength in him. It's in the Lord. The whole point of this Ephesians passage talking about armor is to strengthen you. Not to make you feel weary, not to make you feel down, but to help you to realize that right now where you're sitting, when you walk out of these doors, when you get into your car, when you go to work, what you have on you as a Christian is this armor. It's not something you got to put on yourself. It has been put on you by God himself. And you wear it. And as Satan tries to fight against you and tries to beat you and tries to do whatever, listen, you may grow tired, but the Lord never does. Satan never gets to a point to where God's hand starts to grow tired of holding you. To where God says, you know what? I just have to let go for a second. That never happens. He always has you in his grasp. He always has you in his might. And though you feel beaten, though maybe you feel destroyed, be reminded this morning, Christian, you're not. Because your victory is found in Christ. Your victory is in him. And he has defeated Satan for good. Too often, we as Christians, we struggle in this life and it's unnecessary. You say, Pastor Tim, what do you mean it's unnecessary? I mean we struggle because we do not know how to use the word of God well. Maybe that's why you're weary. You're weary because you're not using this book right. And if I were to ask you, what have you been reading? If you're honest, you'd have to say, I haven't. Or you'd say, well, I got this little magazine that comes in. It's got one verse every day, and then it's got some other words, a little devotion. That's what I read every morning. Well, that's fine. I'm not saying that's bad. But you're telling me that this is a book given to us by God to reveal himself to us, and all you can fancy to do on a day is read one verse, and then you're gonna come to me and say, Pastor, I am so tired and beaten down. I don't know why. I can tell you why. One verse a day? I can't imagine trying to get through with one verse a day. Do not neglect the reading of the word of God. Do not neglect the source of strength that God has given us. This week, 
Go to the source of living water. Go to where it flows. And it flows from this book. Be in it. Drink it up. Take a bath in it. Let it soak in over and over again. Are any of you cooks? Let it marinate. Let that flavor get in there. But you got to do it by reading, by, by knowing it. By doing the things that God has given us. Being here this morning. Sitting under the preaching of the word of God. This is where God strengthens us, refreshes us, nourishes us. We desperately need it. Do you remember these words by Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30? I want to remind you, these words are true. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As Christians, this is true for us. Our yoke is easy and our burden is light because Jesus has done all the work for us. We rest in his grace. We rest in his peace. Yes, the world has tribulation. Yes, the world has great struggles. And sadly, many of our family and many of our friends have never understood the easiness of the yoke of our Savior. They're trying to earn it on their own. They're trying to figure everything out contrary to the word of God. And they're hopelessly lost and broken. But you, on the other hand, as a Christian, has had your eyes open to the truth. You know that this world is going to end, but you know that there's a Savior who reigns and that you are his. That you've been adopted into his family. That you're a part of his kingdom. And that when this world is over, you will be with him in glory forever. You know that. And that is why you have a light load. And theirs is so heavy. And the only way that they will ever know that there is an easier load is if we yield our sword well and tell them what the word says. Now, many of them, I'm sure, will mock you. Many of them will say, I don't believe that. I'm not following that. And that is okay. That is their choice. That is their decision. We trust that God will use that. We trust as we plant seed that God will make it water, that God will make it grow. But there are many still today being saved because of this word. And we need to pray that God will use it. Pray that God will use his word in the life of your family, in your children's lives, in your cousins' lives, in your grandparents' lives, aunts and uncles, your co-workers' lives. And believe that this word can work and will take effect in their life as you share it with them. I think that's the prayer that God asks us to do. In an upper room, it tells us in Acts, I think Acts chapter four, there's been arrests, there's been all kinds of different things happening. And it says that the church is gathering together and they're praying. And what are they praying for? They're praying for boldness. They're praying for boldness to be able to go out of that room after they've already been arrested, they've already been scourged, all these different things have already happened to them. And they're praying, God, give us boldness to do what? To share the word. Not to build the church, not even, I mean, not to say, they don't, all that, to share the word. And then God, you work. And God did. And God has, for thousands of years, continued to work through the pages of this book. Melting the hearts of people and saving their soul because of who this book points them to, Jesus. And we get to keep doing that.
We sing that song sometimes, Onward Christian Soldiers. Do you remember that? I remember I'm in the Lord's Army back in Children's Church singing that and marching. We really are. And we carry the armor of Christ into battle. And we have the most effective weapon that has ever been given to man. And it's this book. Let's yield it well. Let's share it with others. Let's believe it to be true. Let's live it out. And let's watch God work in the midst of that. Let's bow together. Let's pray. And then we'll sing a song in closing. God, I thank you for your word. I I do. God, I ask for forgiveness of how often it's neglected. I know in my life personally, or in my family's life, or maybe even here at church, God, help us to be more faithful to your word. Help us to have a passion for it. God, draw us to your word. As the psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. God, I pray that that would be true, that we would know this word and have a desire to know it because we know that it is the lens that we see the rest of this world through. What we weigh everything off of. Not the economy, not wars, not the things happening around our society. No, we we need to weigh it against your word. And God, if we are going to be people of your word, I pray that we would be true to that, that we would know it, that we wouldn't be like children trying to yield a sword and how dangerous that can be, but instead we would be like that well-trained soldier, knowing what your word says, being able to parry as Satan tempts us or as detractors try to throw things our way, being able to quote to them scripture and truth. Again, with the goal in mind to be able to share the good news of the gospel with them. God, help us to never be ashamed of your word. Yes, and I know in our local context, we see more and more pushback from your word. God, that's okay. It doesn't need to change who we are. Help us to not be ashamed that we are people of the Bible, that we believe it all to be true and inerrant and infallible. Help us to hold to that. And God, I pray that you would use it in our lives to soften our hearts, to help us to grow in the image of Christ. But also, God, we have a desire to see it being used in the lives of our children and in the lives of their friends or in the people that we get to talk to on a regular basis. God, I, I pray that your word would work in their lives also, and that they would bow to you, surrender their lives fully to Jesus, their Savior, that they would see that truth, that it's not just a book of rules and do this and don't do that, but it's about life and the only hope and true peace that we have in this world that is found in Jesus. So give us a passion for that. God, as we get ready to sing this last song, I pray that we'd be able to respond to your word how we should. Maybe it's just praying where we're at. Maybe it's asking somebody else to pray with us. Who knows? But God, help us to respond to your word now, we ask in Jesus' name.